Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Ennis Penisser, who's the founder of Attention Deck. Attention is uh, building the next uh, generation of sales intelligence tool uh, to help businesses achieve their full potential. Uh, so revenue leaders have perfect visibility on the sales activity, providing um, the sales assistance with accurate and updated enablement content. Um, and this has done his master's from ESCB Europe. Welcome to the show, Anis. Hey, thank you, Rohit. Thanks for having me. I feel very honored. You've awesome. described attention extremely well, so thank you for this. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, I, I, you know, you 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 graduated from ESCP, uh, you know you you um before the call we, you mentioned that you were born in the US and uh you you started in uh, in Paris and you lived in London, but how did you get into this crazy world of startups? Yeah, so so I was a self taught coder as a kid. Um, very I, I my parents got me my first laptop when I was in sixth grade. And the very first thing is I was very much amazed by the internet. So. Uh, very quickly, I wanted to learn how to create websites and then how to create programs or learn how to develop websites, learn how to code. And all the way till I was 17, um, then I did my studies in French, you know, very traditional academic um, experience. I went through a French prépa, studied a lot of math, statistics, and uh, some history as well. Um, and then went uh, to do my master's at ESCP Europe, uh, which is one of uh, Europe's top, top business schools. After that, I uh, had a, a short stint in investment banking. Um, I actually enjoyed it, believe it or not, but I realized that while I was doing banking, the thing that I found the most fun for me was writing macros, which people never actually do in banking. I was writing macros uh, to automate a lot of the uh, spreadsheets. And so um, this got me thinking a lot more, what do I want to do uh, after banking? Because no one ever lasts in banking. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, I, I had the opportunity to work for Tinder when they were about six months old, doing all of their growth in France. So I... I worked with those guys and in 2015, I decided that I was ready to start my first startup, which um, was called Mixer, which was a professional network for creatives. Six, uh, I ran it, I ran it for six years as founder and CEO. And while competing against this other startup called Swipecast, I got to meet my biggest competitor called Matthias who was the CTO and co-founder of Swipecast. At the end of our tenors, we both uh, decided to join forces and start Attention together in 2021. So, super interesting. Uh, uh, and, you know, what made, made you start uh, Attention? Uh, because you, you're trying to solve a problem for, for sales professionals, but uh, any insights you had in Mixer which led you to build Attention? 100%. So at Mixer, we were selling subscriptions to uh, companies going from SMB, SMBs all the way up to enterprise and scaling up all our sales um, operations, but also um, pushing the information into the CRM was, were two big challenges, right? 
our our Salesforce was never up to date because uh, no one was really incentivized to do it. And it was also impossible for me to duplicate and replicate my brain across the team and understand uh, and, and get people to sell our product as well as me, right? So those were things that uh, we, after Mixer, Matthias and I, Matthias was very much interested in AI at the time. He was working on generative AI models uh, applied to the fashion industry uh, and on the imagery side of things. So more more likely uh, computer vision. Um, and so we had a lot of discussions around, you know, uh, the pain points around the sales space, but also how you could best leverage AI to um, uh, augment the uh, the capabilities for every sales team. So um, very quickly, as we found an attention, the first thing that we did was week one, before we, we even had a product, we started talking to every single AE, SDR, VP sales, CRO, uh, VP revenue enablements, uh, all across the sales org to try to understand what were their current challenges and what could we help them with. And then uh, it was a game of iteration where we would try to build, you know, um, uh, kind of screenshots of a product, see if this would be something helpful to them, go out and build it, get their feedback, iterate, pivot. It was it was a very fun journey. Got it, interesting. And, uh, you, you know, I uh, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, we had a previous call where, where I talked about my experience uh, working uh, in sales for a for a deep tech uh, company, and uh, you, you know the uh, the thing which I struggle with at time is the follow up. Sometimes when I send out a follow up email uh, after after great sales uh, email, the follow up emails can be impersonal. You know, well, what is in your view uh, the best way to send out you know follow up emails? Yeah, use attention. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um... What when you have a conversation with someone, one of the uh, one of the the most important points, if you want to optimize your uh, conversion funnel, is to send an email that caters to your prospect, right? To cater that caters to your pain, their pain points, to that caters to their objectives, that kind of summarizes what you guys have discussed, and focus on how you can solve your prospects' uh, challenges better rather than how you can push your solution to them. And so if you go from that problem solver uh, vision, that's how you're going to be able to win most of your deals. Um, so let's say you and I just had a conversation and you're telling me that um, pushing the information into your CRM has been a big issue and you're, you need that to be able to forecast accurately. What's going to happen is, my follow-up email will focus on those pain points, recapping them, trying even better to demonstrate some ROI that we would have discussed in the conversation, how we can help you either generate more revenue or uh, save on specific costs or three, be more efficient. Um, if you can remind this all the way throughout your funnel to your prospect that you can help them with either one of these three missions, you are going to have an easier time selling, especially today when people are freezing their budgets. 
So if you start with this part, reminding the your prospects, pain points or goals, and then talking about ROI and then in a, in a smooth way, right? Don't mention the words ROI, but we can help you with your top line objectives by X, Y, Z. And then mention your solution and uh, make sure that next steps have been uh, planned during the call and not necessarily after the call. So your calendar invite goes while you're still on the phone with your or, or on Zoom with your prospect, then you're going to to win. And actually, attention will draft that email for you, leveraging AI. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that that is super super interesting. And uh, you know, last time I discussed, and you mentioned, you know, what's the uh, the response rates with with some of the emails that I'm sending out is really low. Um, how can how can one get great response rates with outbound efforts? And uh, and you you also mentioned about you know some some of the percentages. You know, what would be the ideal you know response? Uh, rate when some uh, SDR or BDR is, you know, doing an outreach. Yeah, I once got to 40% response rate. What matters okay. actually is your positive response rate. So let's say uh, people say I get 10% response rate. The reality is that the positive response rate might just be two or 3% uh, right. instead of 10%. So um, ideally, if you can calculate your positive response rate, that's great. I think that if you're above... 10 or 15% response rate is fantastic. Okay. Uh, and there are ways to get there. The way I figured it out was actually by doing things that don't scale. So what I would do is send my first 100 emails to people, and those emails would be hyper-personalized. They would be based on what someone posted on LinkedIn, what someone said in a podcast, what someone, um, what uh, a company's website is saying what is the recent news about uh, a company, right? Um, some other ways as well is to see like, hey, I noticed that you brought in these two new salespeople in your team, mention their names, uh, and, and, and always start with a hyper-personalized icebreaker. Now, this doesn't scale at first, but the, the, uh, the good point about all this now is that if you are a good coder, have good coders in your team, get them to build AI processes that will automate this step for you. But first, you got to start doing things that don't scale, find out what works best, and then you automate for that from there. I think that when people keep using these sales loft or outreach cadences that are very similar to um, and look very much like what everyone else is doing, people will not really be responding to that because those emails aren't very personalized or original. But if mm -hmm. someone sees that you've put in some thought into writing their email, that email to them, this is going to trigger a high response rate. Hmm. Got it. Got interesting. And, um, uh, you know, what I found with this was like a HubSpot was so focused on just solving a problem for SMBs and, you know, they did not have much attrition there. But what if a sales team would want to move from selling to starters and SMBs and want to sell into enterprise uh, selling, you know, and and are there any signs for them to know that, you know, they are ready to move into enterprise? Absolutely. So this is something that I highly believe in is that when you're in this uh, iteration uh, in your early stages, try to focus on selling to smaller clients 
uh, to try to understand uh, very quickly what moves them, what motivates them, and what impact you're doing for them, right? Um, obviously, enterprise clients um, kind of work in many different ways compared to SMBs, but if you can try to find some commonalities between the problems you're solving for SMBs versus enterprise, um, you're going to start with SMBs and then once you start seeing some success with SMBs, start reaching out to larger and larger companies and focus on their pain points, right? This might have you switch your ICP at some point, which is fine. But if you try to just work with enterprise from day one, what's going to happen is these conversations are gonna last forever. It's gonna take you a year before you even land one client. And these enterprise clients will tell you, hey, if you don't work with other you know, large clients, we're not going to be working with you. But if you, you start small and start selling to bigger and bigger teams, then from there, this is going to be, um, I think, a winner. So how do you recognize that it's it's time, right? I think on our case, in our case uh, over at Attention, we were seeing our clients' feedback. So we had a, a Slack channel. Uh, we have a Slack channel with all of our clients. We check in every three weeks with them. They can ping us at any time. They get direct, uh, feed, uh, direct input from uh, the founders. And that's how we were able to iterate and learn as fast as possible for my clients. Um, once you start getting clients who tell you, I love your product, I would, and they start making even better, they start making your referrals to other clients. That's when you know you can start uh, going a little higher the food chain and start selling to bigger uh, clients, I think. Lauren, I really liked how, you know, you build a Slack channel for, for customers uh, where, you know, they can they can share the feedback. I heard a similar thing, Harry Stebbing saying about creating a WhatsApp channel, a WhatsApp group for your clients, and, you know, they can they can share feedback. Uh, I love that. You know, that's something I'm going to uh, share with others as well. But, uh, you know, when it comes to sales uh, playbooks, who should be creating the sales playbook? Do you think it's, it should be the founder or should... Or do you think it's like the head of sales or a junior sales rep should start building the playbook? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that all of the first sales should be founder-led and therefore a founder should create the first playbooks. They're not going to be perfect, but still they're going to be good enough for you to generate those first sales. And I think that a founder should not hire any sales until at least they've, they've sold to 20 companies. That's kind of what Jason Lemkin says in Saster. Try to sell to 20 companies at least. Um, and from there, you could start looking into uh, bringing in sales. So these sales are going to repeat the first playbook you built, but also they're going to be able to iterate, um, improve it, or even replace it if they find something that, that's better. Got it, got it. Interesting. And, um, uh, and how about you know, hiring your, your first um, sales team? Um, uh, how should how should you look at uh, structuring your your sales interview uh, for for the new sales reps? Yeah, um, the way we've done it because at this point we're still a pretty small team um, was in in our case I would run the first conversation as the CEO as okay. a founder. Um, then we are um, lucky enough and fortunate enough to have a lot of VP sales who have invested in attention. And so 
we would ask them to run the second steps of the interview. Um, and then as a final step, we take the ones who have been selected by uh, those GP sales. And I would have them chat with my co-founder, Matthias. Um, and even if he's the CTO, uh, he's someone of uh, the company, he's someone who is very well-rounded and very smart and has um, a very good sense of who would work out at the, the, the company. Then we discuss together all the, the those final candidates and decide to make the offers. Mm, got it, interesting. And, um, you know, I've worked in startups where, uh, you know, they, they've hired a junior sales rep or I have been hired uh, as the, you know, head of sales. But who do you think should, uh, you know, founders should, uh, should they hire first, a head of sales or do you think a more junior sales rep? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that um, it really depends, first of all, on how much cash do you have, right? How much runway do you have? Uh, what is the profile of the founder? Because if the founder was a former VP sales at a, as a startup or at a company, then um, in his case, he might not need necessarily a head of sales because he is that head of sales. If the founder yeah. has a different background, it's all about how the founder can replace themselves with someone way better. At, okay. uh, at what they need to kind of out outsource internally. So um, in a few words, uh, in our case, we believe that the first AE should be two AEs. So uh, that's also what uh, Jason Lemkin says in Sasser. Uh, bring in two AEs who kind of have a very strong founder mentality, who are more um, missionaries than mercenaries and who really believe in what you're doing, who really believe in what you're selling. If once you make them the offer, their first questions are, okay, how can we get things moving forward? How can we make this happen? How can we crush the next months? This is great. If the first questions they ask you is, so how will we structure my commissions? That's yeah. something that, that, that's an early red flag. Hmm. Got it. Interesting. Very interesting. And you, you mentioned start with two A's. Uh, should one uh, should you hire one at a time, or do you do you think you should hire both of them and then you know keep keep hiring uh, if you want to scale it up? Really depends on how much you or the ideal candidates that you find. If you you have the chance to find two at the same time, then have them start the same day so that you can minimize the efforts uh, and and just group it together, and those people will learn by osmosis. One thing that I didn't mention earlier is that I do think that these AEs should be pretty senior. If anything, they should they could have been directors at uh, previous companies, but who are okay with being individual contributors for the first six to nine to 12 months before scaling up a sales team. And this will actually get them either two or even or, or, or one of them to a more uh, senior leadership, leadership position. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. Try to get both of them at the same time so they can learn from each other and learn from you as well. Love that, love that. And um, uh, and you know when you when you give take an interview, you know you just have a couple of hours. You could take a couple of references, but how do you really test for you know grit and curiosity um, in an interview process so that you 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 know that you're hiring like a ten x sales hire. I love that. Um, it's really in the questions that you ask and how they're going to respond to these questions. So, you know, you could ask something like, 
what are what what feedback what was the latest feedback that you've received from your manager right and from there you're going to see if how they respond to feedback and you'll ask them do you agree with what your manager thinks what are your biggest areas of improvement that's a good one i think that a really good one as well is tell me what was the biggest thing that you learned from your customers uh, over the past uh, few weeks right and then you start to see if uh, how they respond to that. I also like to ask them what books they read um, or what books they've they've read in the past, and that will give you a pretty good idea whether or not they're open to other things. But also, if they have been reading entrepreneurial bo books, then you know that they have more of this founder mentality. Mm. Got it. Got it. Love that. And. Um... And when it comes to uh, uh, you know hiring for for sales teams, you know, what is the single biggest mistake you know founders make when they're looking to hire somebody? Um, yeah, maybe hiring too fast. I, I would say that is the biggest one. Um, over at attention, one of the things were that we've always hired slowly um, and made sure that every single person was a fantastic fit for the team rather than trying to hire fast because of an urgent need, right? Because what's going to happen then is if that person doesn't work out, this is going to be disastrous for the team. If you're a hundred person, person organization, having one mishire is easier to, to figure out or, or might have less of an impact. But when you're a team of six, eight, 10 people, you need to have you need to have all drivers in the seats and no passengers, right? You need to make sure that every single person is going to push things forward rather than just try to ride the wave of that your company is creating. Got it. Interesting. And um, and when it comes to you know onboarding uh, sales rep, what are the big biggest mistake founders make, and what is the you know? what would be the like the ideal ramp time for a sales guy to have? Um, so it really depends again. Uh, it, it depends on how difficult your product is, how difficult your offering uh, is, how technical it is. It really depends on whether that sales person came from the same space as you're selling into. So in that case, they should be... Um, you know, ready to be ramped up very quickly. Um, but typically the, the, the general answer is, we, uh, and we're not at that stage yet, but what we've seen from clients is that typical ramp up to full productivity is around three to four months. We've okay. seen outliers be able to do it within one month, but that's either because uh, reps were from the same space or the product is pretty uh, easy to sell. Hmm, got it. And um, uh, how how's the you know sales team onboarding structured at attention? Um, so right now we haven't we haven't uh, finalized the offers yet. So I would probably be able to answer that in one month from now. Um, okay. But uh, a few things: a we have all of the enablement content for for attention that was built by attention, right? Uh, so what attention can do is filter out through all of your winning opportunities 
and extract all of the questions asked by uh, prospects, all the objections that they came up with over time, but also how I, as a founder, was able to answer all of those. And within within a few minutes, I can build that enablement content based of all these FAQs and start training uh, future reps on that. The other thing is how do they manage to how do they learn how to use the different tools at their uh, that that we propose to them and typically when all of these tools are very similar in general then in our case over attention we have a lot of custom built uh, ai tools that will do things that no one else has uh, done before like building emails uh, email cadences using ai and so on and that kind of requires a little bit of a, a steep learning curve that to which we expect reps to be uh, mastering within a week or two. And, and those AI tools are built within attention or is it like the AI tools which are, you know, okay. No, they're, they're, they're in-house scripts, right? I'll give you an example. One in-house script that we built was something where uh, that if you enter the link of a podcast, uh, okay. Our script will capture what was said in the podcast and generate an email uh, mm -hmm. based on what the person said in the podcast uh, relevant to what attention sells, right? So these are some of the, and it's kind of funny when I speak with um, David Barron over at, uh, he's a sales director at HubSpot. He tells mm -hmm. us all of these in-house scripts that you have could build an entire new company on their own. <laughs> it, it is kind of funny, but we are extremely creative and reinvent the wheel when uh, it needs to be so that we can actually crush the market. Mm, got it. Uh, and, you, you know, what materials should, should a founder have uh, in place for the sales team uh, so that, you know, the sales team can catch, can start uh, crushing on the, on the goals from, from day one? Yeah, I think that it's going to be a lot of a lot through iteration. We we're big believers of failing and failing fast and learning from your failures. And so when it comes to those materials, it's less about uh the enablement content itself, because in our case, that enablement content has been built fast and also will be pushed through real-time talk tracks and battle cards through the attention tool. Um, so all of that has been kind of very much simplified on our end. Um, but then it's also, uh, doing these calls, uh, messing up the first ones, learning by osmosis, by being in the same room, uh, and, and listening to what, where everyone is doing and learning from that, but also going back into the attention recordings and having the AI tell you what were the winning moments of those conversations. I think this is, it's more learning by doing than learning from content. Mm -hmm. Got it. And um, especially for sales leaders, you know, they uh, they need to build relationships with the with the product team because they want to share the insights of a product team and they need to build relationships with customer success team and with other uh, uh, parts of the organization. How, what should a sales leader or a sales rep do to proactively build those relationships with other parts of the organization? Yeah, so for us, this is still early to answer because the 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 product team is also the engineering team, which is also the founders and a few engineers. And nice. so being of the same room at this point is is the answer to that. Uh, but this being said, as we're going to scale up, we're probably going to have to customize attention to fit our own needs as well, which is 
um, let's say a salesperson had a conversation with uh, with a uh, prospect and the prospect made some uh, product feedback to that sales rep, right? Yeah. Attention will tell that, that sales rep, you should email the product team about these learnings to uh, to uh, the, the to the product team, right? So the, the point is that by doing this, they help out the product team because the product team doesn't know what's happening within sales. They don't have the time to go in every single conversation and see what's being said. But if you can make this reactive to the conversations, that's how uh, the product teams are going to be uh, enabled. And that's how they're going to praise you as a salesperson for delivering the right feedback from, from prospects. Got it. Got it. And um, and as you you also you know invested into into startups, um, you know what do you look for for a startup to invest and for for listeners, uh, any advice for them on you know how should they get into into this world of angel investing? Of course, so I, I invest very small uh, tickets, not not big ones, but it's more about the 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 emotional support and maybe you know sharing some of the learnings and feedback with other founders. Uh, but also maybe learning from these founders as well, right? So one thing that I really look for is what is that founder's superpower, right? Everyone has a superpower. I kind of need to find out what that founder's superpower is. I care less about what they're going to build because I think they're probably going to pivot. But maybe I'll look into the space. I look into the their ambitions. I look into how uh, smart they are. I don't really care about schools or pedigree. I care about how resourceful they are. I care about um, how curious they are. And I also look at the founding team. So not just the CEO, but how does the founding team complement itself? And typically I think that anyone who invests in a, in a seed uh, stage team should talk to not only the CEO, but also the CTO to see how both are clicking together, right? Like, how are they complementing one another? Because um, when, when the, the, the CEO and founder is not going to be able to do it all by himself. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, th these are the main things that, that I look into. Um, and then it's, it's typically, I, I'm not an active angel investor. I would be more passive in the sense that if something, someone reaches out to me or I chat with a founder who tells me, hey, I have a new... Uh, I'm going to start a new startup. Um, mm. I chat with them. I see, like, I try to see how they think. I go from first principles rather than uh, uh, thinking uh, think how much they figured out things because I'm sure they are going to figure them out. Um, and from there, I say, hey, you know, I'll, I have a lot of trust in you. I'm going to throw in a 10K check or, or something like that. Oh, okay. Got it. And and any advice on you know where should they source uh you know deals like is it do you advise to invest into into your you know ex colleagues or your uh, I mean what's the best way for you to find those 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 deals? So I don't uh, yeah I'm not very active in looking for deals. Uh, it's it's most mostly they come come to me because at the end of the day I don't have time to yeah. anything uh, outside of attention. A hundred and twenty percent of my time is attention. So uh, if I'm 
if it's a weekend and I'm running into a founder that is introduced to me or uh, and we chat over 30 minutes and I think that the, the person is, is smart, I could have maybe one, you know, uh, other conversation and just very quickly invest. I'm not going to think it twice. And if anything, I'm going to consider that that money is kind of lost money. Uh, yeah. Maybe one day it, it'll be big, but I try not to um, spend any of my time doing, working on anything else than attention at this point. Got it. Got it. Absolutely makes sense. And I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Yeah, it depends where you are, at what stage you're at. So if you're about to start a startup, definitely read uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. It's like, uh, it's a must read. If you're a founder and you haven't re read it, it's there's something wrong. Uh, I really like uh, The Hard Things About Hard, Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It's great, especially as you're looking to scale an org. Right now, I'm reading uh, Amp It Up by Frank Slootman, which is great. I'm like halfway through it. And this is where I got the uh, driver versus passenger seat reference that I absolutely love. And how, it, it's all about how you can create urgency within a company and how you can get things done very fast, how you can prioritize through things um, in the best way and create a culture of winners, right? Um, so yeah, those would be the the top three that I would list. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love all the three books. Uh, we're going to uh, put out in the show notes. And yeah, you know, if you could go back in time when you started attention, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I would say I, sh I should have listened better to my customers or to my prospects, right? Um, when we started out, we had one uh, very uh, basic feature that we wanted to start building. And we were in a I had this conversation actually like the very first week with uh, this sales director who told me, you know what would, uh, what we would spend a lot of money on? It would be something that could fill up our medic fields in Salesforce uh, using AI. Mm -hmm. And it was maybe like a 15 second snippet of the conversation. Um, and instead of completely pivoting the, uh, and doing what she suggested, we kept on going with whatever we had in mind and listening to our own voices instead of listening to what she said. And uh, I think about six months later, when more and more prospects started saying this to us, you should do this. I that thing resonated in my mind, and I should have just tried to dig a little further into that rather than listening to my own voice. So I would tell any founder when they're starting, don't listen to your your own voice. Listen to your prospects. Yeah, no, absolutely love that. And uh, do you have your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom, anything other than intention? Sorry. Uh, do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Yeah, I love Phantom Buster because it helps me scrape whatever I need to scrape uh, within seconds uh, without having to recreate a whole Python script. So uh, for me, it's a time saver and it's it's absolutely amazing. Awesome. Uh, what's it called? French Buster, is it? Phantom Buster. So P-H-A-N-T-O-M. Okay. B-U-S-T-E-R. I've been using it for years and I'm a huge fan of what they, they built. Oh, wonderful. Uh, never heard about it, but but I'm going to put it in show notes and have a look at it later on. 
Um, and is, what are the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Redemption? Yeah, every, anyone can add me on LinkedIn uh, or uh, reach out to my email at news at attention.tech. Um, again, I, I always have to prioritize my time on the things that matter most, so I might take a, a bit longer to respond if it's not top priority, but I can, for you, I'll always answer as fast as I can. Awesome. Um, and thank you so much for taking your time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.